This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Are we supposed to get married? I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. I would also say, too, check in with yourself when you're talking about toxic dating. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've seen me on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another thought-provoking episode of Dates and Mates. Look, if you've been out here in these dating streets, I don't have to tell you that some of the people you meet might not be the right match for you. They might not even be the healthiest mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But you know what? I can't take care of everybody, but I'm here taking care of you. And I know that with the right mindset and approach, you can find and maintain a healthy, loving relationship. But it all starts with awareness and the ability to identify toxic behaviors in your matches. Don't worry, these behaviors, they're not actually as common as therapy talk might have you think. (laughs) Even still, they do exist, and they can cause you tremendous pain and block you from the relationship satisfaction that you deserve to experience. And that's why I have licensed psychotherapist Sherry Gaba and certified life and dating and relationship coach Carla Romo here with me today. They'll be talking about how to avoid toxic relationships, trust your gut, and find and keep healthy love. But first, I'm going to serve you another hot dish. Essence Magazine asks, is dating up a bad thing? Then later in Dear Demona, I'll address this question. Should I reveal my STI status on my dating profile to weed out matches that aren't in alignment with me? All right, pull up a spoon and a fork and a knife. Well, no, leave the knife out because y'all, we're going to dish. These dating dish. Essence Magazine says, is dating up a bad thing? A certified love coach says, absolutely not. And this certified love coach says, about that. We need to talk about it. All right. So this author begins the article talking about the MRS degree. Who's heard of the MRS degree? It was a it was really a phenomenon of a bygone era. I don't know too many people that do this anymore, but it used to be that women would go to college with the intention of finding a man and finding someone to marry and then earning their MRS degree. Get it? MRS, Mrs. Yes. And that was the way that a woman could level up. But guess what? Women went to college and they got knowledge. Oh, you like that rhyme there? (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, women started getting 
getting real about their education and their career prospects and their higher education. Women started earning graduate degrees at higher rates than men. And then they were like, what? I don't need these scrubs. I am educated. I'm a high earner. I have my own home. I uh, Science, I don't even need a partner to have a baby. What am I doing with these scrubs over here? <laughs> so this article asks, is dating up a bad idea? Dating up meaning dating someone who has more resources than you. And I will say, I'm going to pick on the article a little bit because it does really speak about it from a more narrow definition of financial stability. And when you look at the stats, even though women have gotten ahead in many respects, there's still certain factors that hold us back from our true potential. So research conducted by the University College of London said a woman's salary drops by 45% when she has a baby. I think if I were to extrapolate this data out a little bit more, I think it really means that over time, women's potential earnings drop 45%. It's not like immediately they drop 45%. And then even women who don't have kids, they're at an economic disadvantage because of the gender pay gap. As of 2022, you've heard these numbers before, but this is the current number. As of 2022, women earned 82% of what a man earned. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I am telling you there's a little bit of coin that we need to make up for in that gap, right? So what some women do is use dating as an opportunity to close that gap and date people who are quote unquote, of higher status with more resources. Now, here's where I have a problem with this, because I think that this idea that you need to be dating up, as I said earlier, like the MRS degree, it is a vestige of a bygone era. This is a story that we were told for years and years. You need to date someone at your level or higher. And your definition of what your level is, is in many cases relegated to just how much money do you make? What is your social status in society? What kind of car do you drive? Where is your house? You know, all of these superficial qualities and resources. And I feel that we have held on to this notion. So I see a lot of women in my practice that have it all, that literally have it all. They're sitting on the top of the mountain. They don't even realize they're up there. <laughs> they're at the top of the mountain. And then they say, well, I'm out here dating, but I have to date someone at my level or higher. So I'm already a high earner. I'm already a CEO or a vice president in a corporation or a partner in my firm. But somebody else has to be contributing at a higher salary level or with more financial resources or status, right? And they don't realize they're at the top of the mountain. Where where are you looking for these guys? Where's the next peak? Because I can't see it. And when we're in that predicament, I say, we got to turn inward and really figure out what does that mean, that notion of dating up? And do you really want to date up or do you want to date equal? Do you want to date someone who 
contributes to your life in a meaningful way, who meets you halfway? Or do you want to date someone who you are tied to for your financial, emotional, spiritual success and satisfaction? I don't know. (laughs) I'm leading the witness, surely. But it has left us in this gap where there's all of these single successful women that are not able to find a partner because they're looking at the wrong qualities. They're looking at dating up, focusing on things that are superficial rather than things like emotional intelligence, compassion, kindness, um, understanding, supportiveness. Is that a word? Yeah, I'm going to go with that. You know, looking at these things that really make a true partner. It's a partnership, right? And this is why we also see there's there was a study last year about the rise of single lonely men. I'll probably do an episode on it at some point in the future. But that there is also this gap of men who are not, quote, clearing the bar for women. And part of that is because if they are expected to be out earning, outpacing women, and they're not at the level of emotional growth that some of the these women who also tend to focus more on their, their physical health and their spiritual health. The stats also show that women put more focus on their physical health, on their spiritual health. They spend their time investing in that kind of growth. So yeah, there is a gap of single lonely men that are being left out of the dating pool, either because women are focusing on the wrong qualities in building the partnership that they really are looking for, or because there are men that have not done the self-work and personal growth to also clear the bar. So I think we've all got some work to do, and regardless of your, your gender or your orientation, we all have a responsibility to step into the best version of ourselves. But when you start categorizing people and saying like, oh, you are below me or you are above me and I'm dating you for that reason, that's when we really get into this problem that we're having of an imbalance in the dating pool. So here's the pep talk. I say, be your best self Develop a growth mindset where you're always stepping into the best version of yourself at any age and require that of anyone that you give your time to. It's not about the finances. It's not about the social status. But how is someone truly going to meet you halfway, be a partner, and contribute to your life? All right, now that we're feeling like we have elevated to our highest level of consciousness, (laughs) we are going to have Sherry Gaba and Carla Romo of the Love Fix podcast here to talk about how to avoid toxicity in dating and how to find healthy love. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome back. Sherry Gaba is a licensed psychotherapist, life coach, author, and co-host of the podcast, The Love Fix. You may have seen her on a little show called VH1 Celebrity Rehab or on CNN Inside Edition, Access Live, or E! News. She's also been featured in Cosmo, Women's World, LA Times, New York Post, Zeus, Psychology Today. She is the truth, Sherry Gaba, and she has partnered up with my homegirl, Carla Romo. She is a certified life, dating, and relationship coach. She's the author of the fantastic book, Contagious Love, which she talked about on this podcast before. And now she's working with Sherry on this fantastic podcast, The Love Fix. She's been featured on or partnered with Simon Business School, Milwaukee Bucks, Bravo, Bumble, Lifetime, and Bustle. Please give big smooches to Sherry Gaba and Carla Romo. Hello, hello. How's it going? <laughs> Thank you, Damon. I love to be here. We love you. It's going so well, and I'm so happy to have you both here together with me. I've in, in I've interviewed you individually on this podcast, but now that you are the love fix and you've you've hooked it up, <laughs> it's great to have you both back. Yes. And I love all of the topics that you talk about on the love fix, but one in particular has become a hot button issue lately. I I feel like I hear a lot of folks talking about toxic relationships and and how what are the signs that your relationship is toxic or that someone is toxic? And I would love to hear both from the dating and the relationship perspective. Maybe we start with dating, Carla. How do you know that that someone may be a toxic, I, I, I don't even like labeling people as top, toxic, sure. right? But <laughs> that a situation may be toxic for you. All right. So here's the deal with dating and toxic people. If we're going to just label it as toxic, um, there's some red flags up front. So that's maybe oversharing on a date. Sure, it's good to get to know somebody, but to have them talk about their exes in a negative way, to share all this terrible stuff that happened to them in their childhood in an inappropriate way, not a healed way. So I'm going to give an example of that. Inappropriately, oh, I had this father and he left me and my mom when we were little and I've just had a really hard time in relationships, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm a really good partner, but I just really struggle and I'm just trying so hard. Okay. Uh, a healed way is, you know, I had a really complex relationship with my father and, um, you know, but I've been able to work through those issues and now I'm in a very different place. Okay. Just very different the way it's, it's, you just got to listen for it. Uh, another red flag and, and thing I'm, we're, we're going into red flags about toxic relationships. Cause that's really <laughs> like where you're, you're getting into with the dating stuff. Your gut feeling, like if you're like, gosh, you know, he, he had said he would reach out on a Friday and it's Sunday and I haven't heard from him, but my gut feels like it's off. But I don't know if I should just like wait a little bit and see, or should I reach out? Like if you're starting to question yourself and you need to kind of 
take a step back and, and ask yourself, okay, like, why am I questioning myself? Probably because this person's behavior is not consistent. So mm. inconsistent behaviors. Uh, and I always say as well, when we're looking at consistency with behavior, inconsistent behavior and consistent behavior is both consistency. So somebody who's healthy, who's not toxic in dating, will get back to you. They'll tell you that they like you. Yeah, they might be scared and they might be nervous. That's normal. But they'll be like, hey, I'm really enjoying spending time with you. I'd love to go on another date. Or just telling you, hey, like this is really nice conversation that we're having. I'd love to keep doing this. And then they follow through and then they're consistent about it. Inconsistency. This is amazing. You're like one of the best people I've ever met. And then you're like, wow, this is like feels too good to be true. And then you just keep going and going out with them. And then maybe they start acting funny or something shifts. You got to fall. Like you can't, you can't, you don't want to fall for that. You kind of want to take a step back and say, okay, something's off here. What's my gut telling me? So I know these are a lot of examples, but I think examples are good versus just kind of a definition of what toxic dating looks like because you're going to be in these situations yourself. So you kind of want to catch it before it gets too late and turns into a toxic relationship. That makes sense. I find the examples really helpful, Carla, because I think it's, we can talk about it in theory, but until sure. you see it, you don't really know. But I'm just going to play devil's advocate for a moment because that's what I do. Let's do it. <laughs> I hear from a lot of folks that that this toxic behavior is really running rampant, particularly on dating apps. I know you and I are both we're fans of dating apps. You know, it's part yes. of it's part yes. of the culture, girl. Yes. But I hear from a lot of folks that everyone that I meet seems to be doing some of those behaviors that you were talking about, like they're hot and then they're cold, or they they were really nice to me, but they were rude to the wait staff, or they told me about like their tragic story and told me that they're working on it. So is it good that they're working on it? I mean, what do you think is going on here? Is the whole dating culture mixed up or is it that we maybe are looking through our own lens or is it something else? I think you're exposed to more people with dating apps. Like you mm. just are. Like you just have more exposure in front of you. So it might feel like a lot more. Whereas, I don't know, 25 years ago when you were just out and about dating or meeting somebody in, in the college dorm or right, like those types of experiences, meet cutes, you weren't as exposed to so many people. So the behavior probably didn't feel as, as much. But I'm going to tell you this right now. I don't think the majority of people are toxic. I really don't. And Sherry could probably back this up with statistics as well in terms of narcissism and personality disorders and yada, yada. But I really don't think most people are toxic. I think it's really impactful when you are dating somebody who's toxic because it is very emotional and it can be very uncomfortable and confusing. But I don't think the majority of people are. Yeah. I think, Demona, it is a hot topic. I think it started probably when a certain president became, got into office back in 20, so we, we will not name names. And I think the <laughs> word narcissist became just like totally over the top, hot topic. So now everybody is a narcissist. To really be a true narcissist, you have to have a narcissistic personality disorder, which means you have absolutely no empathy. Your brain is wired in such a way as you have no compa capacity to hear another person's point of view. So if you're in a relationship with someone who they're always right. You're always wrong. They're gaslighting you. They're, their actions don't match their words. They're doing word salad where you're like spinning around, like going around and around. Like they have to be right no matter what they have. And again, this is why 
there's so much out there on it because people that have been with a narcissist, they want that validation because that person did not give them the validation they needed. They feel like they're going crazy. And so they're reading books and they're getting on podcasts and they're doing this and they're hiring coach because and therapists because they need to know. They need to know like, what is this craziness? And really what it is, it's abuse. It's, it's abuse. I mean, that's if you ever... When I went to school to become a therapist, we had this like diagram, the cycle of abuse. So what is that? The love, the honeymoon phase, which now we call love bombing, you know, sending the flowers and the gifts and texting all the time and, you know, just over the top attention. And then they finally get you. And then the tension builds inside of them, the narcissist. And then boom, something toxic like a gaslighting or verbal abuse or word salad again, or just, or, or, you know, questioning you, not trusting you, all of the things that they do that are quote toxic. I mean, I also want to throw in there cheating or physical abuse, right? Like mm -hmm. other ways that you can be abused too. Right. Betrayal. I mean, you know, you're with someone toxic. First of all, if you lose yourself in this relationship, because you're so busy obsessing on them, you forget about yourself. And we can call that codependency too. But you, you're basically always worried about what am I going to say? You're walking on eggshells because whenever you say the wrong thing, they're attacking you. Um, and then you feel guilty for everything because they turn everything around on you. Then there's a lot of fighting, manipulation, controlling behaviors, yelling, insulting, physical injury, God forbid. And like Carla said, a lot of dishonesty, betrayal. And then the most important thing is, like I said earlier, you're losing yourself. You're no longer taking care of yourself. There is this lack of self-care because you're so obsessed and being perfect and being right for this person. Mm, yes. And it is a cycle. And as you were saying, Carla, as well, there, you're meeting more people in today's world. That's I, I feel like that is the biggest shift is the volume and people want to place their frustration about dating on dating apps, but it's a double-edged sword because the dating apps are what bring you the options and the opportunity. So now we got what we wanted. We just got way more of it. But navigating <laughs> through, right? Navigating yes, through all of this, it does it does require kind of a second level of awareness. And in a way, it can become a cycle for ourselves, like you were saying, Sherry, of if I keep allowing this and I keep showing up in this way and I'm becoming accustomed to that, you start to think that that's how it's supposed to go. But I'm, I, I kind of want to rewind on this cycle of abuse because it doesn't just start when you're dating, right? These are, these are um, sometimes this is seeded even way back in childhood, right, Sherry? Right. Well, I was just going to say, you know, you're going to, if you had early trauma and it does, it's not always the case. And we, and Carla and I always talk about that. You don't have to have had trauma to get in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist. But if you have had early trauma, you're replicating that person who's abusive, who's unavailable or an addict or an alcoholic or a cheater. That's all you know. And the, you know, ask anybody, they like what they, they don't like what they, they, they like what they know because it's what they know. But what you need is not what you know, if that makes any sense. Like what you really need is someone who's stable, kind, steady Eddie, you know, someone who shows up, someone, Carla's like, we're, we're, Carla and I always talk about our own dating experiences. <laughs> and I think I know what Carla's thinking right now, but it's sort of like, that's who you want, but sometimes that's not who we're attracted to. Sometimes we're attracted to that bad boy. 
the one that mm-hmm. is unavailable. And so that is that, that you're right, Jamona, that stems from early childhood stuff often. The other thing too, I just want to throw in there around toxic dating is yourself. Okay. So Sherry and I talk a lot about on our podcast, Love Fix, about how we we're codependent. Sherry talks about her love addiction and how we were able to break free of that. But what we realized is, yes, we were attracting toxic relationships, but we ourselves were not healthy. And so we had to get healthy in order to attract healthy relationships. And so I would say a big indicator as well in terms of toxic dating is what is your motive for wanting to be in a relationship? Is it to fix somebody? Is it to feel worthy? Is it to feel enough? Because if that is what you're going into, which I can speak from personal experience of my own story years ago when I was codependent. That was my motive. I could find somebody who could finally love me and then I was deemed lovable and worthy. So my dating was like all over the place. I just was grasping onto anybody that wanted to give me attention because it felt good. But a lot of times that's not the best approach to healthy relationships and healthy dating. So I would also say too, check in with yourself when you're talking about toxic dating. And remember Mm -hmm. the love bombing that they do. If you're someone who's codependent and needs that attention and validation, you're going to love that. It's like, oh, he's so great. He's giving me his undivided attention. He's sending me flowers. He's texting me. If you're someone who doesn't like Carla said, has, if you don't have a sense of self, you don't know who you are. You're going to like eat that up. And that's where you have to go inward and go, why do I keep doing this? Well, I probably have to look at my early childhood stuff. I have to look at that early trauma. I have to change um, my my perception of what I know into, into something else. Yeah. See, and whenever that would happen to me when I was single, I'd be like, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> like, I get very <laughs> suspicious. I'm like, something's up here. That's good. That's a that's good, good thing. Well, but I, not that, not that my attractors, attractions were perfect either. I, I certainly went through that bad boy phase and that feeling of like, you know, sort of chasing the highs and lows. And for me, I really felt like I had to reprogram what was healthy, what I was attracted to, because when I met my husband, it, it, felt different. It was it was not that like the oh my god feeling. Out of the gate, <laughs> oh my god, passion like yeah, sparks. <laughs> yeah, I mean there were sparks, but it was more of a curiosity, it was more of a leaning in and it was more of a slow burn and and a and a, a deepening in a way. But I find that for a lot of people when you're used to that sort of chaotic relationship that a healthy relationship can feel like nothing's happening. And I get a lot of questions on the podcast about that. Like, well, I want to date nice guys, but then I always feel like I'm not that attracted to them on the first date. And that, and that's because if they grew up with a certain amount of trauma, there was a lot of activation. There was a lot of, their nervous system was unregulated. So part of getting healthy, we talk about getting healthier and attracting great people or calm people or people that will show up is learning how to regulate our nervous system. How do you do that? You do that with a trauma therapist like myself, or you find someone that will help you learn how to do that. Otherwise, you're always going to want that high activated feeling in your relationships. Mm. You know, I tell clients all the time, boring's great. Go for it. Go on that second date, right? And and I tell these clients who have come from the highs, the lows, the crazy sparks, the excitement, the in and out and one foot in, one foot, right? Like all of that. And I have a client who is 
getting married to her fiance in a couple months that when she first started working with me, she was single and she was like, I don't know if like I can find a guy who actually does work on himself because that's important to her, finding a partner that embodies those values and, you know, has his shit together, et cetera, et cetera. And so <laughs> what I what I told her was, all right, you're going to go on dates. So she's out there dating and then she meets this guy. She has coffee with him. She's like, yeah, but he's boring. And I was like, boring's good. That's great. Awesome. So go on a second date. And she's like, okay. Goes on a second date. I get an email from her and she's like, all right, Carla, he's not boring. There is stuff that we have in common. And now they're getting married. Mm. So I like what you're saying is that, yes, this is so many, so many women's experience, but go on that second date, go on the third date, just get to know people. And you don't have to define that I'm going to marry this person. Like that's the point of dating is that you need to go on multiple dates. If you're anxious attachment style, which typically means you're preoccupied with relationships, you get anxious, you tend to chase people. You're afraid that somebody's going to leave you. You feel like you're running out of time. Take your time and date multiple people. Yeah, that's a great idea. And also I think it's important to remind everyone that the excitement doesn't necessarily have to come from the person. Like I did a post a few weeks ago about having more interesting dates. And I have said for a long time, the first date should just be like an hour, an hour, 90 minutes, just to check in. And it's easy to do drinks or coffee, but I don't know. Do we want it to be easy or do we want, like, if you already know I, I have nothing but boring first dates, Add an activity or a little bit of excitement that can come externally. And then you might actually think, oh, if I go on a hike with this person, caveat, I live in L.A. and everyone's hiking. Every time I mention going on a hike, people are like, I'm going to go in the woods with a stranger. Like, no. (laughs) At Griffith Park, there's like thousands of people out there. But, you know, it's an activity. (laughs) Whatever that is in your area, doing an activity that boosts your heart rate, that gives you other inputs that you can then get to know each other without all that pressure of sitting across from the person like, tell me your life story right now. (laughs) Tell me about all your trauma. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I'm going to, and this is going to sound really harsh, but sometimes if someone, if you think someone is boring, we used to say it my day and I'm a little older than you, you people, um, maybe you're boring. (laughs) That's like, what my cousin says to my daughter. I mean, <laughs> if you're seriously, boring, like, you're maybe, boring. Maybe you're boring. It. Like, what are you doing in your life that's interesting? Is your whole life about finding somebody? Because for me in the old days, that's what it was. It was like, I just want to be partnered up. That's all I care about. Well, I'm not that person anymore. Who are you in your life? Like, do you have friends? Do you have hobbies? What are your creative outlets? You're, you're so much more than a date. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. You know, I we've been talking a lot about the the signs when you're in that first date or the first first couple dates of toxic relationships. But, you know, a lot of times we miss the signs. The red flag is waving and we miss it. And then we get deeper into the relationship where we have more of a connection to that person and more invested. And then we st- start to see some signs. Like you're inevitably going to have conflict in the relationship. Sherry, I'm curious from your perspective as a therapist, what are what's the difference between healthy conflict and toxicity in conflict? Well, if someone always has to be right, that's a big red flag, right? If someone 
can't have a, a you know, a two-way conversation. It's all one way. It's my way or the highway. You're walking on eggshells when you want to bring up a topic because you know they're going to get upset. That is some of the stuff I would be looking for if in terms of unhealthy communication. Yeah, definitely. A big red flag too is boundaries. Like when you say to somebody, look, I don't want you to do this again, or this is my boundary, this is my line in the sand, and they get all worked up about it, you're definitely with someone toxic. Mm -hmm. They don't like boundaries Mm. and they don't like the word no at all. I agree with that. And now I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) Here, you know, I I have to say this too, though, is that we all have, you know, tendencies that could be unhealthy. Okay. It's just the way we've learned to cope and whatever. It's if you're willing to work on them and actually work on them, not just say it because that's a toxic trait. Uh, Oh, I'll fix it. I'll work on it. And then nothing happens. Um, But if somebody's genuinely trying to work through these things and they recognize and their partner's a mirror to them, that's different than somebody who's really just gaslighting you and telling you that you're the crazy one and manipulating you. So I want to make that clear as well. Right. Not everybody's a narcissist. Some of the things I just mentioned, there's a really good chance you're dealing with someone that at least has those traits. And, you know, are they capable? Do they have the capacity to hear your point of view? Do they have the capacity to compromise? These are things that make Mm -hmm. for a healthy relationship, of course. Yeah, you have to be able to compromise. And I, I love what you said you said in passing just a moment ago, Carla, that your relationship can Mm. be a mirror. And that's something I've been talking about a lot lately. And I really feel like, yes, my relationship, like I choose to be in a relationship. I don't need a man. I got, (laughs) I got my own, but I choose to be in this relationship. And we've been married now Coming up on 16 Yay. years. So good for you. Um, That's great. Or depending yeah. on when this airs, we've That's been wonderful, Damana. <laughs> You're like, hold on, let me just do the math real quick. <laughs> Thank you. Like, how did you like how did you do that? You know what? Um, that's a great question, Sherry. I I say it's it's built in small mm. moments. So I choose every day to be in yes. this relationship. And I also choose to use this relationship as a as a mirror. To become the best version that. of myself. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. I got Hell a good yeah. one. But you know, it it wasn't it wasn't obvious from the beginning. And people always ask me, Oh, how do you know? How do you know? I feel like when you know, you just you just know. You know when it's wrong and you yep. know when it's right. But but I know I, I will acknowledge Sherry, you probably have a perspective on this with a with the background that you have i'm very in tune with my body with my intuition i can read those signals but a lot of times we have not been trained or conditioned to read the signals correctly or we may have trauma in our past maybe we've been in a toxic relationship and so the things that we see as signs we're we're misreading the signs or we're or you know we're just we're not tuned in in the right way i yeah i always say that when people get really defensive what is that about like someone is trying to tell you something they're trying to share their feelings and suddenly you're just like defensive about it. What is that? Is that something that's happening in right now? Or is that something that happened to you when you were a child? And so you feel like you have to defend yourself. Then you have to look at yourself. The bottom line is 
if you keep picking toxic partners, you probably have a toxic relationship with yourself. And and how do we how do you change wow. that? And I say you got to find a great trauma therapist. I I can't say that enough. You've got to find the right. You got to be really discerning on who you work with so you can uncover that toxic energy that is inside of you. It's it's it's, it's your you talked about intuition. You're obviously you've obviously worked through a lot of stuff, Demona. Part of the issue is if you haven't worked through your early trauma and it's still in your body and it's still lodged in your body, you're going to be responding from that place instead of the place you need to be responding from, a wholeness, you know, a place of you've worked on yourself. Um, Trauma lives in our body and it has to be discharged, you know, either through somatic work, EMDR, tapping, the latest is regulating your nervous system. If you can do those things, then you can come to a relationship as a whole person. You don't have to defend. You don't have those uh, negative coping skills that you used to use in the past. That makes sense to you? So a couple weeks ago, we were ta- I was talking about the importance of therapy as well, really for anyone, <laughs> to be your best self in dating and relationships, to have that self-awareness. So the criticism that I've gotten is therapy, it's expensive. It's hard to find Mm. the right therapist. Now, I kind of feel like most, almost any therapy is probably better than no therapy. Just the process of sitting down and being introspective. But of course, there are different levels of, you know, competence in, in different, different helping professionals out there, right? What do you say to those folks that are just like, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to find a trauma therapist in my area. And by the way, Sherry, I cannot afford it. Yeah, that breaks my heart. You know, my degree is in social work and I'm just going to be very transparent that I take insurance. I mean, I I work in California. If you're a client, you want to work with me in California, I take insurance. A lot of therapists, I'm sorry to say, don't take insurance. They want to make a lot more money. To me, what insurance pays is a really good living. You could probably make more as, you know, I also do coaching. I make, what's really sad is I make more money as a coach than I do a therapist. But find someone that takes insurance if you have insurance. Um, there's also things like better help. I mean, there's these um, p- platforms where you can get therapy for a little less money. You know, if you can get someone that works with trauma, the bet, you know, much better. And there are a lot of therapists that take insurance that work with trauma, but I get it. I totally get it. Try mm-hmm. to find a therapist that has a sliding scale. Go to, you know, usually the therapists are on yeah. Psychology Today. That's a fantastic directory. You know, type in trauma, type in, um, you know, codependency, whatever it is that you're dealing with and and see if they take your insurance or if they'll work on a sliding Thank scale. A there time. are some of us out there that still do that. Yeah. And I even did a search the other day. Just I, I just typed in free therapy Los Angeles. And I actually got a ton of resources yeah. of numbers you can call, places that you can go that offer free therapy or can direct you to free or low cost therapy. That's so fantastic. Thank you for that suggestion too. I was gonna say there's nonprofits and things like that that do free therapy. You might be on a wait list. But it is, you know, those those services are out there. I love that you asked the question, Demona, because it's really important in my value system that everyone should have an opportunity to work with a mental health practitioner. 
And I truly believe that. And by the way, you know, sometimes you can really get healthier by going in group stuff, group therapy or group coaching. Yeah. Carla, maybe you can mention, you know, our, cause we have group coaching programs, maybe mention the, um, the link. Yeah. If people are curious, just go to the lovefix.com and, and look into that. But yeah, cause then you're not so alone. Some people feel a little, you know, well, I, the one-on-one feels intimidating. It's easier to sit in a group, whether it's therapy or coaching and, Super powerful, very powerful. Nothing like feeling like you're not doing this journey by yourself, that someone else gets you. And especially with, you know, narcissistic abuse, like you want to hear from other people. Oh my God, that was what I went through. And then you want to find healing. You don't want to just sit in the problem. Then you want to sit in the solution. So, you know, there's all kinds of Mm. options out there. If you don't do therapy, you can do group work, et cetera. Thank you. That's a great place. Uh, to begin to wrap this up because uh, I'm all about the solutions. You know, we can talk about the problems all day long. <laughs> We've <laughs> talked about a lot of problems today, but I know with the love fix, you're about fixing people's <laughs> love lives and getting them on the path to healing, right? Tell us what's happening on the podcast. I was on a couple at the beginning when you yeah. launched it and you've had so many guests, guests and so many topics since then. Tell us what we can look forward to from the Love Fix podcast? Well, we're always talking about our own situations, you know, in terms of our past. And so like, long story short, what I'm trying to say is that we've been through it too, in terms of dating, relationships, (laughs) like all that stuff, right? Uh, We're not just sitting here telling you what to do or how we would do it professionally. Like we've been through that as well. And what I love about the podcast is that we have Demona, you are included in this. Some of the best, the best, like, perf- like seriously, experts, professionals, uh, researchers in this field in terms of dating and relationships. And so we have people talking about psychopaths. It was a great episode that we had. Uh, we have people talking about narcissistic mm-hmm. abuse. We have awesome people talking about dating. Uh, so yes. it's a whole spectrum <laughs> of things. It's not just toxic relationships. It goes into relationships, dating, codependency all that good stuff. And trauma. We have a lot of uh, episodes that dig deep into trauma and people love that. We have someone that talks about nervous system regulation. I mean, we've, we really do. We're not, I'm just, <laughs> we really do have great guests. Thank you so much for joining me, Carla and Sherry. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at The Love Fix, T-H-E-L-O-V-E-F-I-X, and listen to their podcast, The Love Fix, wherever you are listening to Dates and Mates right now. We will put the link in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener questions. Should I include my HSV status on my dating profile, or is this too much too soon? I'll tell you about it in two shakes. Y'all, as a certified dating and relationship coach, the biggest gift that I can give you is steering you on the path to your best and most fulfilling love life. And so when you send questions into me, I know what's on your mind. I know how to steer your next steps, and how to guide you towards that. And nothing gives me greater joy than to get your feedback and hear how my advice has helped you. One such listener, Tori, reached out to me this week and she said, I was listening to your most recent episode and the topic of voice prompts on Hinge came up and I LOL'd. My partner and I are about to celebrate our one-year anniversary and we connected over my voice prompt. This was back in 2021 and the feature just rolled out. I was definitely an early adopter and that's because of your advice to leverage new features to boost your profile 
in the algorithm. Love your show. Thanks for all you do. Thank you for your story, Tori. Thanks for taking my advice and putting it into action. And look at that, a happy ending. So, so we have more love stories to tell, and we have a question from a listener named R on Instagram. R says, what do you think of putting your HSV status on your dating profile to weed out anyone that isn't in alignment with you? R, this is a great question. And I just want to put this in perspective because not to scare you guys, but (laughs) there's probably some people listening to this podcast right now who are HSV positive, HSV one or HSV two, and do not actually know it. So it's important, first of all, to know your HSV status, but it's also important to realize that if you are HSV positive, it's cool. You are actually in the maturity. Globally, 67% of the population under 50 has HSV. Now that includes HSV 1, which is oral herpes, and HSV 2, which is genital herpes. But guess what? HSV 1 can cause HSV 2. So We're kind of talking about similar things here. And knowing your status is a part of entering into the dating pool and also, you know, when you are having multiple sexual partners. It's kind of your responsibility. By the way, a lot of times your general annual screening may not be testing for HSV. So you may have to ask your doctor, and you probably will, you may have to specifically ask your doctor for this test. I know that in my normal uh, annual checkup, you know, the lady parts, my doctor always <laughs> asks, she goes, um, has anyone anything changed? Have you taken a lover? <laughs> Which I have not. And that is how she can determine which tests I need to take. So if you can't talk to your doctor about what's happening in your body, who can you talk to? Well, you can talk to me. So here's my answer for you, R. I think you're assuming a problem before you have a problem. So you said you want to weed out anyone that isn't in alignment with you. But I mean, probably even just hearing about HSV on this episode, there are some people having aha moments and realizing they don't even know that much about their partners, about their HSV status, or about what that even means. Like to be HSV positive, what does that mean when you are intimate with someone? It can be passed on to your partners, right? And it can be passed on through intercourse. It could be passed on through oral sex. So it's out here, folks. (laughs) And again, I'm not saying this to scare you all. I'm saying it to educate you because knowledge is power. And if you look it up and you say, how can you transmit HSV? It's like basically through anything. (laughs) Use condoms, which I'm always talking about. Use a dental dam, which I'm never talking about. Does anyone use a dental dam? I literally, I thought that they weren't around still. I thought this was like something that happened in like the 70s and 80s and it was done. But no, it's still out there. It's still a contraceptive method. But then they'll tell you, just be abstinent. That's the only way to prevent HSV. So mm, 67% of the world, the global population, just not going to have sex. Folks, I realize that's not going to happen. So you have to protect yourself. But just to go back to your question, R, you have to also 
know what information people can handle at what time. So telling someone out of the gate from your dating profile, their first impression of you, by the way, I'm HSV positive, some people don't understand what that means and don't know the things that you probably know about HSV2 or HSV1, I don't know which one you have, that there are ways to mitigate risk that are not 100%, some of the ones I already discussed. Also, not being intimate when you have an outbreak. Also, taking antiviral medication. All of these things can help. They're not 100%. But guess what? You don't even need to get into the conversation until you are going to be intimate with this person. Does HSV define who you are? No. Does HSV tell somebody what kind of person you are? No. Does HSV tell this person that you're going to be a good partner or a bad partner or a good sexual partner or a bad sexual partner or that they are going to have their relationship dreams fulfilled and enhanced because you... No. It doesn't tell them any of that. And so when you're on the app, You've probably heard this on the show before. When you're on the app, that is just the initial meeting. Like, just imagine it this way. If you are, were going to a bar and you were going to wear like a scarlet letter that said herpes on your neck. It just says HSV. <laughs> and you're going to wear a little lapel pin that says HSV. And you're going to go out and try and meet people like that. Is that fair to you? No. And does it really tell that person about who you are? No. When does it come into play? When you are considering being intimate with someone. But give yourself the chance and give the other person the chance to get to know you first as the great, loving, thoughtful, kind, beautiful person that you are. And then, should you have something that could become a problem, then you discuss it. Should you have an issue that then you just need to negotiate, maybe need to educate them that you need to have a plan for how you're going to move through it, then once you have built that sense of understanding, trust, and attraction with someone, then that's when you begin the conversation. I'm going to leave it there, folks. This is episode 455 of Dates and Mates. As I said earlier, I'd love to hear from you. My DMs are open. You can DM me a voice memo or, you know, just type in the message at Damona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Or give me a call. Send me a text at 424-246-6255. That's my 24-7 voicemail. And Anytime, day or night, I am a listening ear for your questions. We'll be back again next Tuesday with friend of the show, Bustle Magazine Deputy Lifestyle Editor, Hannah Orenstein. Until then, I wish you happy dating. <laughs>